I'm reading Psalm 30. Hear now God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is, this is your word. You have breathed it out. You have given it to us. You have preserved it through thousands of years. We desire to hear your voice. We, we desire to hear you speak to us about your love for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to fill us with hope. We ask you to put a new song into our hearts, even as you put this song into his heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our God is a God who delivers, who delivers from even the most perilous of dangers and the most horrific of circumstances. And our God shows us that most clearly in the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Weeping may tarry for the night, but for our Lord Jesus Christ, the night was incredibly long and filled with extreme anguish. The night began remarkably, with a celebration of the Passover, the celebration of God's deliverance at, by means of death. God had thousands of years ago passed through the land of Egypt and delivered his people by executing judgment and killing the firstborn of Egypt, but passing over the houses of his own people, those houses that were covered by the blood of his Passover, of the Passover lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that that former Passover was merely pointing ahead to a true coming Passover, a true judgment that would come. But what was needed was a true Passover lamb, one that covered God's people from God's coming wrath. And he knew that he was that Passover lamb. He was that sacrifice. It was at that meal that he made clear that this path to suffering would go through his closest friends. He said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And of course, that man was Judas, his close friend, a man whose name has now become synonymous with betrayal. 
But betrayal wasn't the only relational breakdown that he would have in this path of suffering. He knew that he would be abandoned by his friends. They made their way to the Mount of Olives, and there he told his disciples, truly, I say to you, all of you will fall away on account of me. All of you. For it is written in the scriptures, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, Peter was quick to respond, no, Lord, certainly not me. They all might fall away, but not me. It was plausible. I mean, this was Peter, the rock. This was the one who had confessed boldly and clearly, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was a revelation that came to him not from people. This was something that God himself had revealed to Peter. And yet, the Lord Jesus knew that all of his closest friends, even his most stout-hearted friend, would abandon him. And so he turned to Peter and he said, No, Peter, my beloved Peter, even you, even you, you will deny me. Not once, but three times, this very night, even before the rooster crows. They went on from there to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there the crescendo of his anguish resulted in a flood of tears and prayers. Perhaps he remembered at this point the story from Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham and Isaac, the the story where God had asked Isaac, Isaac, I want you to sacrifice your only son. And maybe he remembered Abraham's hope as Isaac looked at his father and said, Father, we have the, the fire and we have the wood, but where is, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb, my son. Only here on this night, our king began to sweat blood in anguish as he heard his father's voice resound, my son, you know that you are that lamb. You are that lamb. And yet the Lord Jesus prayed, Father, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass from me. This cup of staggering, this cup, this foaming cup of God's wrath. But the reply was mere silence. The father turned his face from his son and answered only in silence. I mean, up till this point, the Lord Jesus, his life was marked by God's favor. From an early age, he grew in the favor and the stature, in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And as he began his ministry, the Lord proclaimed publicly, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Lord Jesus withstood every temptation. He was able to answer every attack by his enemies. He had people flocking to him to hear his 
teaching and his preaching. The Lord worked miraculous signs through him to validate his ministry. And just a few days before, he came triumphantly into Jerusalem where the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it would have been right for him to say, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Because he had done nothing wrong. And unless God would choose to remove his favor, he would be blessed eternally. But it was his will to remove his favor. It was his will to crush him, Isaiah says. And so the father hid his face from his son. It says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid my, your face, and I was dismayed. No longer would the Lord Jesus hear the beloved benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Instead, the last remaining hours of his life would be marked by this woeful re refrain. The Lord curse you and release you to your enemies. The Lord hide, turn his face from you and remove his grace from you. The Lord hide his face from you and pour out his burning wrath upon you. In fact, every relation, every human relation that he had from that point on was against him and a sign of the curse. He was betrayed by a kiss. He was falsely accused by the false witnesses of the religious leaders. His close friends abandoned him and denied him. The crowds that had shouted, Hosanna, now yelled, crucify him, as they rejected him. The government leaders who were there to protect him served him up to be crucified. And he was faced with mockery and disrespect and extreme torture. And yet, beloved, it was on the cross that he faced the most, the fullness of that curse. It was daytime, but the night for the Lord Jesus continued. Because from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, a darkness came upon the land. As God's dark frown continued upon his son, where our God poured out without measure his wrath upon the bleeding sacrifice of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross became the curse because cursed is everything that hangs on a tree. And our, it was the will of our God to crush him publicly in full view of all mankind for us to see the wages of our sin but also the full expression of God's love for us. So, beloved, look. Look at the cross and hear of God's love for you on the cross. Look to the cross and see the anguished face of your Savior, dirtied, exhausted from all he has endured, bloodied, and bruised. Taste the dirty sweat and blood that has 
dripped into his parched mouth. Hear the labored breathing of one who strives to keep his breath by pulling him up by the nails in his wrists. See the marks on his body left as the whips tore the flesh from his bones. Feel the horror and the shame of being hung, exposed as a criminal, naked, mocked, denied, abandoned, beaten, bruised, every form of torture imaginable and forsaken, forsaken by the one that he has been in union with from all eternity, forsaken by the one who sustains us, preserves our very life. The Lord Jesus would give up his spirit. He would yield his spirit and God himself would stop his heart from beating. But before that happened, God would mete out the fullness of his wrath upon his beloved son. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, hear the son say this, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Not too long, Lord Jesus would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, upon his church to fill his people with his powerful presence. But in God's silence to his son, the helper refrained from helping him from the cross, but instead empowered his work on the cross. For it was through the eternal spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Beloved, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And beloved, in the light of the darkest night that could ever be, comes the light of the most glorious morning. Because as our God would fix our eyes on the cross to weep there, we must rejoice at the resurrection and the sight of the empty tomb as our God points and says, look and rejoice. Because, beloved, know this. God hid his face from his son and he poured out upon him the most unimaginable horrors upon him. The Lord Jesus died and was buried and yet God was ever faithful. He was ever faithful. His back had been turned to him, but his ears had not been stopped. He heard the cries of his son. And he did not let his Holy One see decay. He, the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful unto death. And God raised him with the power of an indestructible life. Our Savior Jesus Christ rose risen victorious. 
He came to destroy the works of the devil and to ultimately defeat even death itself. And our God would point to the empty tomb and say, look, it is accomplished. It is done. And the father put a new song into his son's mouth saying, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up from my soul from Sheol. You have restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. Beloved, our God heard his prayer and accepted his sacrifice. And there was eternal profit in his death. For by his death, his single death, his death was a single sacrifice to make perfect all of his people for all time. And by his death, he was found faithful unto death. And God has raised him up and seated him up in the heavenly realms and has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we, feeble children of dust, we will join in the song of our great eternal song leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, who teaches us, who commands us to, to pray this. He says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Beloved, on the cross of Jesus Christ, our God demonstrated his ultimate love for us. In the cross, our God demonstrated that he is a God who delivers from even the most grotesque situations, the most desperate. The Lord Jesus Christ faced death itself, public execution and the wrath of God. But this psalm's also our psalm, beloved. This is a psalm for us where we can see God's character directed to us because of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's where we need to look. There are, there are a few things that we can learn for ourselves as we reflect on this in what God has done through Jesus. The first that we, thing we need to see is this. Every one of us is in a state, is in a position where we are either in need of God's deliverance or we have received God's deliverance. The psalmist, uh, likely David, looks back to what God has done where he cried for deliverance and God delivered him. He rejoices that God has delivered him from troubles. And Jesus obviously faced the greatest need for deliverance and God delivered him from even his own wrath because of his own faithfulness. 
Sometimes we recognize that we are in need of God's deliverance. Sometimes we uh, sense that God, we, we want God to deliver us. We might feel the temporary afflictions that are normal in our lives. And our heart impulse when we realize we need to be delivered is to cry out. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me? Save me. That is the right impulse for us to cry out to the Lord. We do sometimes feel like we are in the midst of the weeping or the mourning of the evening. We sometimes feel like God's anger is directed to us, that his, his back has been turned upon us. Sometimes we don't need, we, we don't know that we need to be delivered from something, that we don't need God's deliverance. That verse, uh, verse six is instructive. Psalmist says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And yet it was by God's favor that his mountain was made strong. Sometimes in the midst of our prosperity, we don't realize our need for God's deliverance. Lord Jesus Christ said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Prosperity, whether it's financial riches or, or any other kind of comfort, can give a false sense of security. But the prosperity and comfort that we have is merely a gift of God. Every good and perfect gift is from God himself, and God, in his wisdom gives and takes according to his good pleasure, according to what is good for his people and for his glory. But beloved, all of us need ultimate deliverance. We need ultimate deliverance. The cross, if it teaches us anything, know this. It was but a momentary expression of God's holy wrath, which you and I deserve for all eternity. God gave us a glimpse of what comes for those who have not put their faith in Christ. What, what comes for those who rebel against the Almighty God. We were created for him to glorify him and to enjoy him, to worship him. And yet our hearts are rebellious. But beloved, this is the good news of the Gospels, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to be delivered from the coming judgment. And God extends it to us in Christ. So all of us are in a state of deliverance or need, for, need to be delivered or having been delivered. But the second thing we need to understand is that God hears. God hears. Whether we're in a state of blessing or struggle, God hears us. Sometimes it doesn't seem so, does it? Sometimes it seems like God has hid his face from us and he's not listening. When I was a software engineer, there was a, there was a coworker of mine, a brilliant software developer who often preferred code over conversation, and he... Uh, uh, would sometimes, coworkers would come to him to ask questions, and he would sit in his cube, and he would be banging away 
at the keyboard and, and be asking the question to the coworker, and he would just keep typing away. And every so often he would pause, kind of tilt his head to the side like he was thinking about something, but then he would go back to typing. And the coworkers who would go there would often get confused, like, is he, can you hear me? Is he listening? Which point the guy in a cube next to him would lean over and say, keep going, he's, he's listening, he's paying attention. And it was only at the very end when the question was fully asked and the conversation was over, would he stop, turn around, and then answer? And beloved, sometimes it, it feels like that is how God treats us. Like he's got too many other things going on with his life. He's perhaps not that interested in us or he's not really paying attention. He's got more important things to do. But look at, listen to this song. Beloved, listen to the pleading of the psalmist. How he pleads, to you, O Lord, do I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. And God does deliver. He is merciful. Beloved, God hears you. He hears you when you cry to him. He delights to hear you. In fact, he listens so that he can deliver. And that's the third thing we need to see is that God does, doesn't just hear, but he listens and he responds. Notice all the things that the psalmist ascribes to God in this work of deliverance. You have drawn me up. You have not let my foes rejoice over me. You have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored my life. You, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with ashes, or clothed me with, with gladness, not ashes, gladness. <laughs> Beloved, our God invites us in to his care so that he can deliver us. And the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted himself to his heavenly father. And God delivered him in the most glorious way. That's how he treats you and me. But he treats you and me like that because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the last thing we need to hear is that God hears and responds to us because of his son, Jesus Christ because of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offered himself up as a sacrifice so that we would be forgiven of our sins, so that we would be made right with our God, so that we would be adopted into his family as his children. And he has given to us all the rights and privileges of being a child of the living God. And this is what our heavenly father does. He listens he hears, he responds, and he delivers. Beloved, that is what your God does for you in Jesus Christ. So the question I, we must ask, uh, like you to answer in your head, is are you in the midst of the weeping of the night? Do you feel as though God has hidden his face from you and you are in, you have incurred his anger in somehow. Pray. Cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Whether or not you feel like he hears you, he tells you he is listening. 
He's ready to save. He is ready to deliver you. We need to be clear that there's a difference between temporary deliverance and eternal deliverance. We face temporary afflictions, sickness, um, financial struggles, difficult bosses, difficult marriages. These are important things that we need to cry out to our God to redeem. But sometimes God doesn't take the affliction away. But he does promise to work his good through it. He does promise to redeem these things. We can look to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to see he, the Lord, did not take away his pain, but he used that pain. He used that sacrifice for the most glorious of purposes. And such is the case sometimes with his children. He leaves the affliction to bring about sanctification, to bring about our holiness. But when it comes to eternal deliverance, beloved, we must be delivered from God's judgment. And if you don't know salvation in Jesus Christ, that is what awaits you. And nothing but the powerful love of our God expressed through his son Jesus Christ can save you. Nothing that you do can save you from God's wrath. Only the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ Enduring the wrath for us as our substitute can satisfy us. But beloved, that is the good news of the gospel, is that this salvation is ours in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in, in order to be saved. And so, have you been delivered from the fear of death through the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to conquer death and he has done it. He's been raised from the dead. Death no longer has a sting. We need not be fearful of death. He came to make us children that will dwell in his house forever. And he is ours by faith. And by that, we mean faith that this work that Christ did on the cross was for us. It was in our place. It was a punishment that we deserved, but he did it for us. And it's believing that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he really is no longer dead because God gave us new life in him. And if you cling to that, you are truly saved. So beloved, is that your faith? Is that where your hope is? Because if you do not know that hope, even now the Lord Jesus Christ says to you, come to me, come to me and I will give you rest. I will deliver you. Perhaps you've never come to the Lord in faith because you don't believe that that's really, he's really talking to you. 
Well, Mark, if you only knew everything that I've done, if you only knew how bad I am, how hard I've been, what a wasted life I've lived, uh, or God's got better things to do than to deal with me. And, And as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say to you, the Holy Spirit says that Jesus Christ will never turn you away. Try it. Come to him and, and make God a liar. God cannot lie. He is ready to save. Let him give you his eternal love and may you drink deep of it for all eternity because it is for you. And finally, beloved, above all, for those of us who have tasted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must rejoice. How can we do anything else? We rejoice in God's favor. His favor is for a lifetime, even beyond lifetime, for eternal life. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ, beloved. We have to let the fullness of the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ train our hearts and our lips to praise him with all of our being. Our God loves to hear us so that he can deliver us, but he delivers us so that we will praise him with all of our being, with all of our voices, with all of our energy, with all of our life. We must do it with all joy and gladness. Beloved, it says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Beloved, our joy comes with the morning of our Savior's resurrection. Because we know that our God's anger has passed for all eternity. And we have his favor. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Beloved, may the glory of Christ sing his praise and not be silent. And may we, as recipients of his love, praise him with all of our being, with all of our hearts, with all of our voices from now to eternity. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have lavished on us the riches of your grace in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, train our hearts to sing your praise. Help us to do it with truth and boldness and confidence and volume and joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.